Good stuff, huh? Oh, come on. Come on. Love this. I love our church. Do you love your church? You know you're supposed to. It says that in the book of Hesitations. <laughs> Chapter 3. Love your church. Just kidding. There isn't a book of Hesitations, by the way. Some of you are looking. Hey, listen, can I just remind you as well? Uh, Christina just mentioned us uh, going to this men's uh, conference. Can I tell you? Uh, listen, come. Listen, they're all too often... We've had men's retreats for a long, long time, and men's retreats are blast, but oftentimes in a church our size, we'll end up with just a handful of men, right? And sometimes it's because it's like, I don't really feel like going and hanging out in a little teeny bed with a bunch of guys snoring, eh. right? So can I tell you, we've removed that barrier for you. This is going to be literally a Friday night conference. Go home to your bed, come back in the morning, and then we'll done at two in the afternoon. I'm telling you, I want every man that calls this place home to come, right? 50 bucks. If you can't afford it, go sign up, and we'll figure it out, all right? Some of you have more than 50 bucks, and you want to pay for somebody in scholarship. Can you just do that? And just as bless people, I want every man who calls this church home to be at our men's conference. All the fellas, someone say amen. amen. Oh, that was lame. Men, come on, say amen. amen. Hear that, ladies? Amen. That's awesome. Good, good, good. Yesterday, I was taking the groceries. Uh, my wife had carpal tunnel surgery, so she's at home recovering. So I went and did my, uh, my grocery shopping, right? And so I got, the, the, got to the cart, literally. I was putting the groceries out of the cart in the back of my truck, and, and I, I had this really weird thought. The thought was this. The thought was, Lord, will what I'm about to say tomorrow actually make an impact on anyone or will it just be another church service that we just check the box for? See, ask the question, is what I'm about to say with you this morning going to make a difference in your life? And do you realize that the only way the difference is going to be made isn't going to be because of the information I'm about to give you. It's going to be the posture with which you receive it. Now, I think the information is great because we know that the Bible is great, and I'm going to be talking out of the Bible. The real question isn't, can I gain new information so that I can have more stuff for my thing because I just need to be an information gatherer. The real question is, will you allow this to transform you today? Or will this just be another one of those messages? I, I mean, I was, I was praying, putting the groceries in the back of my truck, and I was like, Lord, I want this to be a difference maker. Lord, I want this to be something that somebody walks away from here and says today, you know what? You're right. This is for me. I came to church today. This is for me. It's, it's not for my husband. It's not, it's not for my wife that I'm going to elbow and say, you better be listening up. Did you take notes? I saw you playing that game. Stop it. No more Candy Crush. Right? So, so you see it happen? See, it's kind of funny. When I'm up here, I can tell if you're on your phones. I can see the shine off your faces. And it's not the glory of Jesus. It's the glow of your phone. But you're reading your Bibles. I can tell. Come on. Jesus, thanks for this day. We love you. Help us to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the middle of a three-week series entitled Next. Everyone say next. Next. I called it next because I wanted us to spend just a little bit of time talking about what next is supposed to happen in our walks with Jesus. Right? The assumption is, is there might be people here today who are listening to us or watching us online who have, who have just surrendered their lives to Jesus, and maybe they were baptized today. And they're at a point in their life, and they're saying, I want to know what's next. 
I want to know what the next right thing to do is. I want to know what's the next step. And so we took time to write down and, and, and begin to share with you these last, last week, this week, and next week about some of the next things that are supposed to be important in our lives. So then you might say to yourself, well, Pastor, I've been, I've been a Christian for a while. How, how impossibly could this sermon be anything for me? I'm here to tell you today that sometimes we forget. Come on. Sometimes we forget the things that we're supposed to be about. Sometimes we, we just move along with life, and because we're American Christians, we just, we want, to know what the, we just want more information to put in our back pocket and so that we can quote it at the next Christian circle you stand in. Instead of saying, God, listen, I, I'm ready. Do you realize that as a pastor, my job is to equip you? My, my, my whole calling and purpose, God's beginning to really bring me down to the purpose and calling for which I am here. And it's simply this, my job is to equip you to go out of here and live it out. That's all I'm supposed to do is equip you. So if you got a notebook, if you got a pencil and paper, if you take notes on your phone, whatever you do, be equipped today. Because God has something for you. He, to some, it's a reminder. To some, it's brand new information. But this is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Just a little bit in review. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy was written at a time, chapter 10, when the children of Israel had just spent 40 years walking around in the desert. They were trying to figure out what was going on. They're, 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 they're trying to figure out what the next step for them is. God brings them to this place in the desert where he's literally about to lead them across this place that they were at, this desert, this dry, lifeless, arid place, into the promised land. God was telling them, you spent enough time in the desert, it's time to lead you into the promised land. What is the promised land? Remember what the promised land is, right? Old Testament version of the promised land was simply real estate, right? It was just real estate. Real estate, they literally were going to leave the desert and start to take the land of promise. What would that require? It was going to require that they were going to have to do some battling. They were going to have to battle some of the Hivites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the all the other ites that were in the land. The Bible even called them giants. So literally, the children of Israel were going to have to leave this dry, arid desert place, cross some sort of barrier into a land of giants, fight them because God was going to strengthen them, and then they would begin to possess the land. So what does that mean for you and me? Remember, you and I aren't about necessarily uh, acquiring uh, land, physical real estate, what is this promised land for you and me? Well, it's a place of spiritual maturity. How could it possibly be spiritual maturity and not heaven? Well, because my whole hope when I get to heaven isn't that I'm going to have to fight to keep, to keep it. Right? The promised land for you and I, I believe, is a place of spiritual maturity. Lance, why would you say that? Because spiritual maturity oftentimes is a battle. It's a battle. You may not have to fight the Hivites, the Hittites, and the Jebusites but you may have to battle a few things. You may have to fight a few giants before you grow into spiritual maturity. What kind of giants might those be? Well, you might have to fight pride and fear and shame. You might have to fight some of those giants, you know, the ones that have been battling you for a long time and winning. See, the, 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 the procuring or the taking of the land is usually about us fighting a fight. Because you're strengthened by God and his Holy Spirit, you're able to win it. And often we end up just having this fight and keep getting beat down and then we back up and regress and then say, oh, woe is me, I'm filled with shame and fear and I can't make it. 
The promised land for you and me, there's a promise for us to grow up into Christ into places of maturity, ultimately that we would have a relationship with the king of the universe and walk in the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of righteousness or rightness. See, the devil doesn't want you to know that. The devil wants to make you feel like you'll never get there. You'll always be stuck. You'll always be because you're a worm and you're guilty and you're a big, ugly mess. The devil uses more colorful language in your own head, though. And you know those words all too familiar. In fact, some of those words sound even like God to you. I'm here to tell you that's not God, man. That's a lie. I'm here to tell you what the words of God would say. They're written right here in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. It says, and now Israel, pause, what does it say? What does it Israel mean to us? He's literally talking to God's people. Israel, God's promised children, his people. Translation, he's talking to you too. And now, Israel, or people of God, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires you to fear him, to live according to his will, to love and worship him with all your heart and your soul, and to obey the Lord's commandments and laws that I'm giving you today for your own good. Let me read it again. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? He requires you to fear him, to live according to his will, to love and worship him with all your heart and soul, and to obey the Lord's commandments, laws that I'm giving you today for your own good. Amen? Just do that. Amen, let's go. Just do, that. Just do these five things, and everything's going to be awesome, and you'll walk in the fullness of joy and peace. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? Oh, thanks, didn't know that. Great for the information, Lance. I'll just put that, in, I'll put that in my heart and move out on it, right? There's something here God wants us to see. He says the things that are next in our journey, for, for, for them to begin to possess the land of promise, for us to begin to walk into a place of maturity, these five things need to show up in our world. Fear of the Lord, to live his will, to love him, to worship him, and to obey him. Hmm. I think it's interesting this past week, we talked about the fear of the Lord and what the fear of the Lord is and what the fear of the Lord isn't and what, what happens in your life when you walk in the fear of the Lord. This week, I want to point out a couple of things. I, again, if the, the longer you hang out the, with the church that I get the privilege of pastoring, you're going to hear me say this phrase. Read your Bible slower. Read your Bible slower. We go too fast. We, we just go ripping past stuff and thinking to ourselves, gosh, I just need to get more scripture in me. I'm just going to tell you, that's a fantastic motivation. The real question I have for you is, do you have more scripture coming to you in, in, in that way, or do you have more, more scripture coming through you? In other words, God's not impressed with how much scripture you read. He is impressed with how much scripture that actually grows through you. He wants you to, to, to not just get through it. He wants it to get through you. Hmm. Listen to what it says in chapter 10, verse 13. I love this. It says, and to obey the Lord's commands and laws that I'm giving you today for your own good. For your own good. Say that with me. For your own good. It's just weird because that sentence, those four little words have such negative connotations, don't they? You know, you get spanked for your own good, right? You're going to get a shot for your own good. You know, you're going to be told you can't for your own good. You're going to be told no for your own good. I mean, we say that if it's some sort of a negative connotation because when we read the English versions of these 
translations of this Hebrew word or phrase, we end up with kind of a negative connotation, right? It's something for your own good. Most of us are kind of like, eh, I'd rather have nothing to do with that. Because for your own good doesn't sound fun. Come on, I'm not alone in that. It's for your own good. Right? I could be one of those hellfire brimstone preachers. You know what? Suck it up. It's for your own good. Right? It's not who I am. For your own good. There's got to be something more. So I told myself, I said, Lord, there's got to be something more here because for your own good comes across pretty negative. So I went back to the Hebrew. I went back to the original language and I said, God, is there something more here? For your own good just comes across kind of, kind of sharp and kind of edgy. Is there something more for us? It's almost as if he's saying, listen, you know what? Fear me, worship me, love me, follow me, obey me for your own good. Some of you are like, that's how I see God. It's exactly what God's like to me. Now you see it, Lance. That's exactly how I see him. Everything I'm doing is just for my own good, and it's because I don't want to do it anyway. There's got to be more to it than that, because this God of love, this God who really cares about us, this God who loves us so desperately that he sent his son for you, there's got to be more motivation than just take the medicine because it's for your own good. Hmm. Well, good news. There is something different. The Hebrew phrase, for your own good, actually is translated this way, for the best of you, or the best way to live your life is this way, or for the greatest benefit of all of your life, these things, or if you've ever wanted to know how to live the best life possible, that's what it is. It's for the good of you, for your own good. That, that These five things that are set out here are things that, that are going to be for the best of your life. Like these five things, worship God, fear God, obey God, walk in God's will, all of these kind of things, it's for the absolute best of you. See, often we read this connotation of for your own good as if it's some super high and mighty overlording God with some big robe and a gavel and just slamming it down and saying, take it for your own good. And literally what he's saying is, is take it for the good of you. It's for your benefit. You've wanted to know what to do now. I'm here to tell you for the greatest benefit of all of your life. In other words, here's how to live the best possible human life existence on the planet That's not in the Hebrew. It's more in the Lance. Interestingly enough, the best way of living is not about adding something extra to our life. The best way of living is about refocusing something that's already there. Let me just say this. As I looked at this passage over and over again, I could tell you it'd be super easy to fear him, to live according to his will, to love him, to worship him, to obey him. It'd be super easy to just chop that up and say, hey, I wanna, I'm just going to hang out on each of one of those things. And I think we could, and we'd actually be biblically sound to do that. But we, we would, we would the, the hermeneutics of it is what it's called, or the exegesis of this particular passage. We're in bounds to, be, to, to, to divide all that up. But oftentimes I want to read the scripture with the big picture in mind. This is a group of people that were leaving bondage and slavery, going up to this place of arid, dry lifelessness, and God's saying, it's time now to move into a place of maturity. Here's some things that you're going to need for your own good. Here's some things that you're going to need to really benefit you. Here's some things as you're leaving this dry, immature place to a place of maturity that you're going to need to grow up in me. 
Here's some things you really need to have wrapped around your life. Hmm. I love this. None of these five things, these five things, let me read them again. Fear him, live his will, love him, worship him, obey him. Listen to this. None of those five things has anything to do with adding something more to your life. But hear this, hear me out. All five of these things, principles, activities, uh, what do you ever want to call them? To fear him, to walk his will, to love him, to obey him, to worship him. All, all of those five things, get this. Listen, here's the crazy part. You're already doing them. You're already born doing these things. Let me say it again. All five of these things, listen to this, all five of these activities, I can't think of a better word, all five of these principles, all five of these worship, fear, love, obey, live as will, all of that stuff is innate within you at birth. It's all in you. In other words, God is telling you for your own good, I've already put a deposit in your life. It's not about you learning a new thing. It's really about you refocusing an old thing. What do you mean by that, Lance? Glad you asked. Listen to this. Everyone already has a desire in their lives to fear the Lord. Don't know if you realize that. You all have this innate desire to fear the Lord. The problem is, too many of us take that innate desire to fear the Lord. What is to fear the Lord? To honor and awe and respect something and most of us don't apply it to the Lord. This thing that's innate within us to want to give fear and honor and reverence towards something, we give it to something else. We, we, we already, most of us don't fear the Lord as much as we fear our flesh. In other words, our flesh says, I don't want to. We say, okay. The fear of the Lord says, doesn't matter if you want to, walk it out. And we say, but I don't want to is more important than you, God. See, we never say it like that. That's too blatant. That's too, that's too harsh. We would never say, God, my flesh over you. <laughs> but we sure live it that way, don't we? Well, God would say, listen, it's for your own good, man. Don't do that. Do this. And it's literally he's saying, I'm not asking you to add five new things to your life. I'm literally telling you to refocus five things that are already in your life. The fear of the Lord. What about living his will? Do you know within us, every one of us has this innate desire to want to live out God's will. Every one of us was born with a desire to live out God's will. We, why, how do you know that, Lance? Uh, let me tell you why. Every one of us wants to know the purpose for why we were put here. You don't have to be a Christian to want to know your purpose. Everyone wants to know their purpose. Every one of us wants to know our purpose. Translation, every really one of us really want to know God's will. Because he gives us a purpose. He gives us a purpose beyond today. He gives us a purpose beyond this moment. He gives us a purpose that's eternal. Every one of us wants to do that. Already within the hearts of every one of us here is a desire to love the Lord. He put it in us. But instead of loving the Lord, God created this little space inside of all of us that's shaped like him. And he said, listen, it really only can be filled by me. And we do everything we can to fill it with anything but him. Inside of all of us is this crazy big desire to worship God. What is worship anyway? You know what worship is? Worship is what we give our time, energy, and affections over to. That's what worship is. Worship is what we give our time, our energy, and our affections over to. What are you talking about, Lance? I thought worship was playing music on a guitar and keyboards and singing in microphones. No, that's an expression of worship. 
But worship was what we give our time, our energy, and our affections over to. All of you were created that way. The problem is, is most of us give our time, our energy, and our affections over to anything but God. Listen to this, last one. We were created to obey God. All of us were created to obey God. Yet all too often, though we were designed with free will, he said, all of you obey me, right? Literally means to willingly submit our hearts to him. Obey, Hebrew, hupotasso. It literally means to willing devote your heart to him. You're made that way. God made us this way. Yet every one of us says, no, I'm going to obey myself. Because I have a desire what I want to see happen. I'm not going to be under the thumb of anyone who's bigger than me. See, God gave us all five of these true principles. And he says, for the good of who you are, walk them out. So here's the crazy question. If God's already placed all five of these desires within our hearts, why aren't we doing them his way? Why aren't we walking that stuff out in in his way? Why aren't we fulfilling his will? Why aren't we walking out this requirement that he has for us? He says it's for the good of us. It literally says it's for the best way to live life. Why aren't we walking these things out? Listen to this. Read your Bible slower. Go up to verse 12 of chapter 10. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord require? Everyone say require. It's so funny because sometimes I feel like the English translations of Bible verses are just so crazy. That sounds like such a harsh word, require. It's like, like require. Like it just literally says, listen, to me when I read require, I, I hear it as command. I hear it as um, any other way is disobedient requirement. You must. And if you don't, you get squished. It's a requirement. And if you don't do it this way, then you, you, you die. I mean, it's like it just feels like that. It's a requirement. And when we hear requirement, because we're, well, human, and we push against it, we all want to go like, requirement? Is that an option? Like, we would just get this idea, and, and no, it's just requirement, right? I don't know how many translations. The actual Hebrew means requirement, right? It, or it says requirement. But let me tell you what it actually means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it actually means this. It doesn't mean require like we know require. It literally means request. So let me read it correctly, in my opinion. And now, Israel, what does the Lord request of you? What does he request of you? He requests that you fear him, that you live in his will, that you love him, that you worship him. Wait, 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 wait. So you're telling me, Lance, that this thing that's going to make me live my life best is a request from Almighty God to me? Yeah. Here's the good news. It's your move. You could live a subpar life if you want. You could live continually getting beaten up. You can actually stay in the desert and dry and have no life in, your, in you. You can literally be living life beat up every single day. It's your choice. It's your move. You, you can decide to just hang out here or, or, or you can live the best life that God has for you. The one that he planned and purposed for you. So God's telling us here in Hebrew that there's this life. There's this, there's this relationship. There, there's this place that he has for every one of us. And he says, it's your desire to, to, to grow in these things. I placed them already in you. Now you get to choose what you'll do with it. So I asked the Lord earlier when I was loading my groceries in my truck, what will people do with information like this? The real question I have for you is, is what will you do with it? You can decide, you know what? I do have a desire to worship something, but I keep on letting it be my money. 
I keep on letting it be my future. I keep on letting it be the, the whatever it is in your life that demands your time, energy, and affections. I, I really want to know God's will for my life, but you know what? I got a plan, and my plan's going to stay true to my plan. I'm going to do my plan, my way, my thing, my whatever. Or I'm going to stop and say, God, not my will be done, but yours. See, you get to choose how you get to walk this journey out in your life. You get to choose whether you want to move to the other side of that barrier that stands between you and the desert, to that place that's life, a place that's called maturity. It's really your call. I love the love of God because the love of God is so evident here because he's literally saying, you don't have to grow up if you don't want to. You don't have to make a decision to move out and be equipped by my word if you don't want to. I love you so much that I'm giving you the choice. I love that. It changes everything to me. It just makes me stop and realize, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. If I get to choose, I want it. If I'm demanded, I'll push back. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you're not like that at all. Maybe you're way more soft and supple, not nearly as hard and harsh. See, he's requesting you. Literally, he's saying, I have for you life. Here's what he's saying. I made you. (laughs) I know you. In fact, I know you better than you know you. Hmm. Remember when I was younger, I used to read my Bible. And I'm, I'm I'm a level with you, younger. I mean, like when I was 19, 20 years old, I remember reading my Bible and I can't tell it lasted long. I can't tell it lasted long, but it, but it was there. I'm not going to lie to you. It literally was there. I had this thought. I ran across a couple of passages in the Bible like this. And again, forgive me for how harsh this might sound to you, but this was the 20-something-year-old Lance. I ran across a couple of passages of Scripture. Let me just read a few to you. Deuteronomy 6.13 says this, You must fear the Lord and serve him. Luke 4.8, Jesus replied, the scripture says, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve and obey him only. Matthew 4.10, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Exodus chapter 20 says this, then God gave the people these instructions, I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt and slavery. You must have no other gods before me. You must not make yourself any idol of any kind of image of anything in heaven and on earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am jealous, God, who will not tolerate your affections of any other gods. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord your God will not let you go unpunished when you misuse his name. Who does he think he is? I had that thought in my 20s. Who does he think he is? How could he possibly just tell me, I must, you're required, worship me. Let me be the object of what you serve, me. I had the thought in my mind, I literally, and and, and I extrapolated it out just a skosh, and I was kind of like, well, what kind of a perfect God is he if he requires my worship? What kind of an insecure kind of deity must he be to somehow need my worship? service. See, I'm sure none of you are like that. I'm sure none of you are as crazy as me. You probably have those moments, you know, when you're just, God, I wake up and I just hear a song and just can't stop worshiping. Maybe that's you. I don't know. All I know is in my humanity, I ask questions. 
Here's the good thing I love about God. I love the fact that I can ask him the hard ones. I love the fact that I can come to God just like I am and say, wait a sec, God, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense to me. And you know what? As long as I've been, half of my journey with Christ has been me coming to God saying, I don't get it. And then him saying, all right, keep looking. And I keep looking. And every single time I've had I can't get it conversations with God, he shows me and it's in there. I've not been one time bumped up against, you know what? I'm right, you're wrong. I've tried. It's pathetic, but I've tried. And I'm here today, 30 some odd years later to tell you, he's good. He's good, man. He, he's, he's not afraid with my hard questions. He's not somehow pressured into, oh boy, I better convince Lance of this one. He's going to go nuts. Nothing. Every single time, he just has patience for me. And he's like, you know what? It's in there. Keep looking. Why would the king of the universe require my worship? Why, why does this God that we serve somehow need me? do something for him. Hmm. Part of it's because God, well, made us innately worshipers, made us innately will-searchers, made us innately fearers. Here's, here's kind of how I, if I were to really boil this whole thing down, I'll tell you in a second, but as, as, I, as I, if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Psalms chapter 50. Psalm chapter 50. This is a psalm. I love this psalm. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorites because I think it gets misread. But this is in the context of me coming before God in my arrogant, pompous, prove-it-to-me moment. This is what the Lord says. It says in verse uh, 7 of chapter 50 of Psalms, it says, O my people, listen as I speak. Here are my charges against you, O Israel. I am God, your God. I have no complaint about your sacrifices and your burnt offerings that you constantly bring to my altar. But I don't want your bulls from your barns. I don't want your goats from your pens. For all the animals in the forest are mine. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Every bird in the mountain, all the animals in the fields, they already belong to me. If I were hungry, I wouldn't even mention it to you. For all the world is mine and everything in it. I don't need the bulls that you sacrifice. I don't need the blood of your goats. But what I want instead is your true thanks to God. And I want you to fulfill your vows to the Most High. Translation, I don't need your stuff. I need you. It's as if God was saying, I don't need any of that stuff. I don't need your cute little offerings. You know, Justin got up here, Pastor Justin, and he tells us about offering trusting God. You realize God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need it, right? That whole thing is not about money. It's about trust. We're the ones that hung up on it called money. He says, I don't need your goats. I don't need the blood of your animals. I don't need all the offerings that you bring to me and somehow think that you're going to appease my wrath. He says, by the way, I could see through it all anyway. I don't need all that stuff, but what I want instead is your heart. I want your true heart of worship. So wait a second. So we have this God who must be so insecure that he's in constant need of my affirmation. We have this God who's so divinely insecure that somehow he, he just, he absolutely is lacking something and requires my attention. What kind of God is that? I love this because as I read my Bible and I come before God and I ask these hard questions, here's what he says. That whole worship, the whole worship thing, Lance, that whole serving me thing, for your benefit. Wait a minute. For my own good? Yep. For the good of who you are. 
That just blows my mind because I'm thinking, wait a minute, I want to worship you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to fear you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do everything for you. And somehow it's for my benefit. Mm -hmm. Because I made you like that. See, we had it all wrong. We get this idea that somehow this, this, this tyrannical, mean God is watching everything we're doing and just waiting for you to mess up and then just squish you. You just messed up and you just messed up. And he's just watching you. Let me tell you this. That's not the God of the Bible. That's something we conjure up. That's some sort of a goofy, crazy deity that we've made up. He's not impressed with your things. You know, literally he's saying this, worship me because I made you that way. Uh, let, me, let me put it to you a little better. It's almost as if it's almost as if God said, I created you to fear me, to worship me, to serve me, to seek my will. And to... It's almost as if God said, yeah, I'm in heaven and I'm creating everything. And God said this, uh, I am love. God is love. That's what your Bible says, right? God is love. God said, I am love. Do you realize that love requires an object to love? In other words, love demands an object to show affection towards. You can't just have love in a vacuum, right? Love requires that there has to be something to love. Otherwise, it's just something. I don't know. I love, therefore I love what? I love you. I love something. I love. It requires something, an object. God is love. Before you and I were around, you know who God loved? The Son and the Holy Spirit. You know who the Son and the Holy Spirit loved? God you know the Holy Spirit loved by him? He loved the Son and he loved God. You know, who, you know who the Son loved? God and the Holy Spirit. You know who the Holy Spirit loved? God and the Son. They just had this crazy big love fest. In fact, the Bible then the Hebrew actually translates it love fest. Do the math. Here's what God said. In his love, get this, in his love, in God's crazy great big love, he says, I'm going to make man in my own image. So he made us lovers. And it's almost as if God said, listen, I'm going to make them just like me. And I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to give them the ability to love. And I'm going to give them the ability to choose because love requires you have a choice. And so they can choose me or they can choose not me. But the truth is, I'm going to make them in my own image. Nothing else is going to be made in my own image. Dogs, cats, animals, bears, they're not humans. I'm making humanity in my own image with the ability to choose in free will. And God said, listen, I mean, you know what? In his love, he said this. I wish that I could also create for humanity something that when they do desire love, when they do desire to walk out the fulfillment of who they are, won't ever hurt them, won't violate them, won't, won't, won't make them hurt or sick or anything. But, but I, I want to give them an object to show love towards that will, that will always be for their benefit, that will always be for their good. I, I'm gonna, here's the deal. I'm going to create them in my own image, and I'm going to give them some object that they can absolutely recklessly, without abandon, love back. What could that possibly be? Me. God said, me. I'll be the object of their affection. I'll be, I'll be everything for them that I created them because they were created in my image to love and to fear and to obey and to seek the will of and to worship. I'll give them the greatest possible solution to all of that requirement or choice or whatever's in their heart. And I'll give them me. You see, your desire to fulfill what it is that God's already put within you was just the walking out of what you were created to do. 
See, all of heaven, you get to walk out what you were created to do. Earth is practice. Earth is where you put on your practice shoes and you begin to run it out. And you can choose to worship him or you can choose to worship yourself. You can choose to fear him or you can choose to fear your neighbor. You can choose to walk in obedience or you can choose to say my way, not yours. See, God created you in his image and said, listen, I'll be the truest, purest, most safe choice for you if you'll just simply yield to me. See, that's spiritual maturity. That's moving from the dry, desert, lifeless place and moving into the place of pure spiritual maturity. But here's the great news. It's your choice. It's your move. You can choose to walk it out your way or you can continue to say, no, I'll do it my way and, 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 and see how that works for you. See, the great thing about love is that he gives us this choice some mean, tyrannical God up there with a big staff putting it down and saying, you know what, my way because it's for my benefit. God says, my way for your benefit because I am love. Let me tell you this, God doesn't need your affection. He doesn't require your activity. He doesn't need your stuff. But can I give you a little hint? He likes it when you do because it's another expression of your love. It's a deeper level of your love when you say, not only do I love you, but I trust you. You begin to walk that out. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord request of you? That you fear him. That you live according to his will. That you love and worship him with all your heart and your soul. That you obey his commands and laws for your own good. Jesus, this morning we come and we thank you for thank you for the clarity of scripture. Thank you that you spell it out for us. God, thank you that you're patient and your love is so long-suffering. In other words, God, you, you're, you're telling us, Lord, what we're supposed to do and you still sit there and wait and say, I don't know how long it's gonna take you, but I'll love you through the process. And Father, in a room this size, there are definitely people who, who for the first time are catching a glimpse of your love and they're realizing that your love isn't motivated out of some sort of a self-need, but God, it's driven out of a desire for a relationship with us. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to him. You never really figured that fact that, that you could have a love relationship with the king of the universe. And if that's you, why don't you just say, Jesus, you got me. If that's you, say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you right now. I just give you me. You got me. Now begin to walk it out in your life. And maybe like our friend Angela this morning who got baptized, you find yourself at a place saying, you know what, that's for me. I want, I want, to, be remember, I want to be reminded of my love I have for you and I've had for you since I was 11. Maybe that's you this morning and God's reminding you of a relationship that you haven't been walking in for a while. But it's time. Go ahead, say, Jesus, I don't need to get resaved. I just need to get realigned with you. And I rededicate my life to following you. I want to grow up in you into the man or woman that you've created me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.